We're all missing travel right now, but you know what else we're missing? Getting more. With Priceline, you can save up to 60% on your favorite hotels, and you can also get exclusive deals on car rentals and flights. And when you save more, you can do more. More wow, mmm, and yes! Priceline knows that every trip is a big deal. So when you're ready to book your next one, visit Priceline.com for the easiest way to get more out of it. And don't forget to download the Priceline app for even more savings. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 44 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Joe DeMeo, and the Mets have won five in a row. They've also had plenty of rainouts. I think the Mets have had at least, it feels like, 10 rainouts this year already. So there's going to be a lot of doubleheader baseball throughout this summer. So a lot going on. We have a lot to talk about today, not just the winning streak, the team finally getting healthy. DeGrom legitimately making an MVP run so far. The Mets' June woes, traditionally they have plenty of them. Let's see if they can break that mold. And we have a lot of your questions. We're going to answer more questions than ever today. So, Joe, how are we doing, man? What's going on? We're doing really good. Everything's going really well. I mean, hell, the Mets are winning baseball games, and people are slowly but surely starting to come back. You know, Pete Alonso obviously came back, had an impact. Seth Lugo is going to come back and I think have a huge impact in this bullpen, even though he wasn't used last night. And then, I mean, come on, Kevin Pillar is just, he is, he is simply a different breed of human than you or I, like I would be like, he was like, Oh yeah, the nose is going to take four to six weeks to heal. But you know, my mom the other week was throwing up all night and went to work in the morning. We're just, we just tough it out and go. It's what the Pillars do. So, I mean, (laughs) To each their own. He's a badass man, and I'm uh, I'm glad to see him back. And it was cool to see him actually get a hit in his first game back. So, yeah, things things are moving along. You know, we're getting closer and closer to the draft now that we're, yeah, we're get, we're getting into a fun season, man. We really are. And this team, there's you know something you and I talked about in the off season was the clubhouse feel of this team that we thought it was special, and it's interesting to see. The guys that have been added have not only fit in to that special clubhouse atmosphere, but they've actually elevated it. I didn't think it could be elevated that much further, but you see everybody rally around Pilar. They love the guy, ultimate tough guy, definitely a throwback player. I know the SMY broadcast has said that multiple times. I completely agree. It's really just remarkable to watch him play and get back into the batter's box and rip a single in his first at bat. You see the energy with VR. Uh, Taiwan Walker has just been tremendous on the mound. McCann has been very good behind the plate. And now you're starting to see the bat heat up a little bit. So, and of course, Lindor has that special energy as well. So 
the the chemistry and atmosphere amongst this team has only gotten better. So episode 44 today, <laughs> I'm going to start a little new tradition here. A throwback 44 for the Mets. It was Ron Darling's original number. Eventually he switched, but his original number with the Mets in 83 was 44. A random 44, Lasting's Millage, who can forget his tenure with the team. An underrated 44, one of my favorites, Mike Cameron, who quietly, a lot of people forget this, only two seasons with the Mets, but his first season with the Mets, 30 home runs and 22 steals. So a 30-20 player in Mike Cameron in 2004. And then one very bad 44, Jason Bay. Ugh, one we would not. <laughs> we do not need to rehash there. Joe, what are your thoughts on the 44s? Man, we're already through 44 episodes of the show. I mean, we really dropped the ball waiting until episode 44 to do this segment. I mean, it's... Uh, we'll never not do it now. Yeah, no. Now going forward, every week we're going to we're gonna bring a, a number and bring some random numbers and you know we want we want to hear from you some of your memories of people wearing that number is 44 your favorite number if so it might be a little cursed but yeah we want to hear from you people and you know 44 also we had I think Jason Vargas wore 44 and I disavow Jason I disavow Jason Vargas he tried to fight my friend Tim Healy so I disavow him uh but yeah 44 good number I mean, just not so much luck in Mets history. Cameron, like you said, was good. But then, of course, he had the collision with Beltron. And and that was kind of that. Yeah, it's that was kind of that with him. I mean, he could have been, you know, he and he played a long time after that. But Cameron was playing at a, a very different level before that injury and, and really was a very, very good Met. We know what kind of glove he had, but it's crazy to think of him as a a 30, 20 kind of guy. And. Uh, one last thing about 44, it's actually one of the most worn numbers in Mets history. There have been 43 players, or not 43, there yeah, about 43 players that have worn the number 44, and I think that's the second most worn number in Mets history, and of course, Robert Gesellman is wearing that right now. He's had a really, really nice bounce-back season, which I think is his first wearing that number, but as we said, Mets are on a five-game winning streak. This is the this is the true test this week. I like that Joe is just like, I'm not staying up for the games. I'll find out in the morning. I'll, I'll watch the beginning of them. I am going to be very tested. I made it through all of the first Arizona game, and I have quickly learned that there's no way I'm going to make it through every late night game on the weeknights, especially when they get those 10 after 10 starts in San Diego. And you're really you're really going into the 1 a.m. hours of the night. And God forbid, knowing the Mets. They are absolutely going to find their ways into extra inning games on the West Coast. But the good thing is, as we talked about the last two episodes before this, how can they survive with these injuries? Well, not everything's perfect. They still have a loaded IL right now, but they did get some big pieces back. We talked about Pilar. We talked about Pete. Obviously, we're waiting to see Lugo, but Lugo's back with the team as well for a bullpen that's been phenomenal without him. And quite frankly, the Mets are running into an interesting part of their schedule where they took three out of four against the Rockies. And Joe and I said, you really had to do that no matter what kind of lineup you're putting out there. Now you're running into a same situation with the Diamondbacks. They only played one game against the Braves. They absolutely shelled them 13 to two. Uh, you just love to see it. Diamondbacks, you win the first one. It'd be really nice if you could sweep the series at a minimum, take two or three, because then you're running into the powerhouse. That is the Padres. The Padres are going to be seven of the Mets next nine games. Obviously, four of them on the road. Mets have a quick two-game stop in Baltimore before they come back home and play the Padres three more times. They always struggle against the Cubs unless it's the playoffs, and it is certainly not. So the Mets, 
have this reputation, and it's very fair, of the last, what, seven years of being quite terrible or at best 500 ballplayers in June. Do you think this is the year that they can break that mold, Joe? And what would you consider, honestly, a successful June? Because for me, even 500 baseball with this stretch coming up ahead and the injuries they have would be a win. That's exactly what I was going to say. And I wish I had, you know, a podcast. We need to have back and forth here. But if uh, there were five, <laughs> if there were 500 for a month of June, like you said, they have seven games against the Padres. The Cubs always put a whipping on them, regardless of if the Cubs are good or not. And then, of course, you have the division games. I mean, Washington, Atlanta, Philly, Atlanta again at the end. Like that, they owe you know, division games could go either way. So if they're able to pull off 500 in June, I think you'd be in a really good spot because at that point, Michael Conforto is going to be coming back. Jeff McNeil is going to be coming back. Hopefully, Carlos Carrasco isn't Jed Lowrying us and he could come back. At that point, you'd be you know, either probably still in first place or really damn close. And then you'd have, you know, basically the whole team back from injury. I can't think of, you know, obviously you had the setback with Syndergaard. I don't know if you'll see him pitch at all this year. Other than that, I, I can't think of anywhere else that would be missing. Am I forgetting somebody that still would need to come back by July with Carrasco and McNeil and Conforto? I mean, those are the big ones, right? Yeah. It, yeah. The, you know, Nimmo. Nimmo, yes, yeah, he's Nimmo, got. But I, it's weird. I, I, I don't know what's going on with Nimmo, and they're kind of being a little, a little hush about it. I mean, they're like, yeah, we just want him to be pain free before he swings a bat. It's like, okay, well, can we get an idea of when, when that might be? But it seems like there's some, some nerve deal there. So maybe it's a little less predictable than like a typical finger sprain or, or something to that effect. So Nimmo would be a nice one to bring back. You know, having him at the top of the order when you get fully healthy and, you know, Lindor hopefully is starting to come out of it. A couple of good games in a row. Dom Smith looked good last night. Pete came back all guns a blazing, ready to go. If this offense can click, they're going to be so tough to beat. They really are. And I think, you know, with Nimmo... He's a big piece they're missing because he's that ca- like VR is the kind of player that he's got some pop. He's been way better in the field than I ever expected him to be. He can run, but he's not a traditional leadoff hitter in my eyes in the sense of, you know, work long counts and get on base and constantly make contact. And we've also been spoiled. Nimmo is just the perfect leadoff hitter in his r- weird style of baseball for the year 2021. Not a lot of guys play the game like him quite frankly they don't take long counts or have that an elite I mean he's really got an elite eye at the plate but I think we're at the point with Brandon Nimmo I'm just going to be honest with you Joe I don't have any expectations anymore if they can get him back after the all-star break and he could stay healthy for the rest of the year and we're going to assume this team's going to be in the postseason then great but the reality of the situation is for me you know Michael Conforto is going to be out there in right field for the long haul of it this year and when he gets back in June we know Dom is going to play a lot of left field. It, it just feels like when he's all right and ready to go, that center field job is is going to start to lean towards Pilar because it's just becoming very, unfortunately, very hard to count on Brandon Nimmo. Uh, that's at least how I see it right now. Yeah, I, I still think when Nimmo's available, you're still going to play in probably the bulk of the games, at least against right-handed pitching. But I think it might turn into more of a straight platoon than maybe we had thought about before, where it was kind of like Nimmo's the, the center platoon fielder. Makes its return. Yep. I love when you say yeah. platoon. 
<laughs> yeah, I don't. How, how am I supposed to say it? Because there's been Platoon. people that I don't know. There's I don't a, think you're wrong. I think it's just a, a preference of how people say it. Is it, a, is it a preference? Is it regional? Like, do Connecticut people say platoon? And I'm the I don't know. But is this uh, like the cheese slice and plain slice debate all over again? I, I think it has to be. Like, I've always said plain, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it. I know with the pizza, at least I know Connecticut's very specific. So that I will that I will own up to. In Connecticut, if you just if if you don't say you want moots mozzarella on it, you're not going to get moots on it. <laughs> you're going to get a pizza with just sauce. So uh, I know at least at the premium spots, that's how it's going to be. But yeah, that's a little different. But yeah, platoon, platoon, whatever. Yeah, they're going to they're they're going to split time in center field one way or another when Nimmo's back. And I think it'll be more of a even split than just a, you know, Nimmo's playing except when he needs a day off and then they'll throw Pilar out there. Well, here's one for you, Joe, when and if J.D. Davis ever comes back. Mm-hmm. And of course, Guillaume will be in the mix at some point. Guillaume has been out a long time. Yeah, so hopefully he had an oblique. Oblique, yes. obliques take time. Unfortunately, they really do. And yeah. you can't, it's not something you can rush, which totally. I think the Mets have learned the hard way not to do that. I mean, is VR the starting third baseman now going forward? So really depends when JD comes back. If JD comes back in the next, you know, suppose he was supposed to start a rehab today, but then it seems like he's not. So I don't know. But if he's going back on the rehab assignment, he might be closer to coming back. And I would think in the meantime, you'd see JD at third and VR at second, I think, a lot. Uh, obviously, Jose Peraza has played some good baseball, so you want him in the lineup at times too. But I think, you know, until McNeil comes back, you might see more VR at second, JD at third. But I'll tell you, man, I am way more interested in seeing Jonathan VR in the lineup than JD Davis when, all, when, when all is healthy and you want a guy out there. I want VR out there more often than JD and hopefully JD could be a power bat off the bench. And, you know, if you're facing a tough lefty, even though VR is a switch hitter, he's clearly a better hitter from the left side. If you're facing a tough lefty, you throw JD might out be there. A platoon. Might be a platoon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the only thing I could say is, and I'm with you, I'm very much uh, on the bandwagon of play VR, especially with how surprising he's been in the field. He's got pop. I do like his speed off the bench, which is interesting to me. But then at the same time, like you said, JD is a great power bat off the bench against lefties. So I'll take the speed in the lineup. Let the speed get get the speed in the lineup and run around. Yeah. Yeah, I play VR. I think JD is the perfect bat uh, bench bat in that situation. So it's good to be talking about scenarios with guys returning. And I'm going to sneak in a question here for you. This was from DMAC. He said, more likely or not, has Thor pitched his last game for the Amazons? I'm going to say... I don't think so. I don't. I was going to say, I don't think so either. I think what will ultimately happen from this is, I think this will help the Mets be able to re-sign Syndergaard for possibly a better value. I think I do think Noah loves being a Met. Uh, I think he's very interested in what Steve Cohen is doing, like a lot of players are. And I think, you know... I don't know if they would make a qualifying offer to him or not, but if they did, I imagine he would accept it. If they don't, you know, maybe there's room for a one-year prove-it deal with the Mets, and if Syndergaard could come back healthy next year, perform, 
then he'll get his his massive payday because I, I just don't think that huge payday is going to be out there after missing potentially the full season this year. So he'll have to, you know, sift through some short-term offers, I think. And I think at that point, the Mets will have the ability to retain him because the finances won't be as big of a deal in a one-year deal. You know, you're not talking about going to a hundred plus million dollars. You're like, do I give 15 or do I give 19? And at that point, with the starting pitching the way it is, Stroman also being a free agent, uh, David Peterson being, you know, hot and cold, let's just say. And then from the minor leagues, there's nothing, no, nothing to look forward to. So we haven't seen Carrasco. You haven't seen Carrasco. So I think I, I I'm going to say that I think Syndergaard will be a Met in 2022 on a one year deal for I don't know how much money. Let's call it between 15 and 20 million dollars. And, you know, we'll we'll see if he could come back healthy and be impactful. And then at that point, you know, we could regurgitate the conversation that we were having in spring training of Syndergaard coming back, being healthy, performing, and then going and getting that huge deal on the market, whether that be from the Mets or from another team. Man, how good does it look right now that Taiwan Walker signed a multi-year deal oh, with the Mets? Amazing. And talk about value. I mean, ultimately it's a three-year, $23 million deal for luxury tax purposes, which is all that Mets fans should care about at this point because gone are the days of every dollar specifically mattering uh, as far as paying out players. But the luxury tax number is really where I think you want to look. And, you know, Walker's under control for three years at basically $7 million per year. Absolute steal. One of the best signings the Mets made this offseason. Yeah. Him and Pilar tacking on those extra years. It, it gives you insurance, right? That was yep. the thought with those contracts. Yep. It gives you insurance if you lose a Conforto in free agency or you lose a Stroman and Syndergaard in free agency. And I don't think they'll lose both of those guys. I really don't. I think they'll find a way to keep one. It would be really shocking. But, you know, we don't have to get too much into the offseason with how this team's playing. The last thing on our rundown before we get into a lot of questions that we want to focus on today, there's really, we're running out of words at this point. But Jacob DeGrom is not even in the Cy Young strictly conversation anymore, but rather in the MVP. I, I mean, truly a historic start for Jacob DeGrom, who just is out there throwing one-on-one, 100, hitting 102, mixing it up. We saw the first curveball of Jake's season so far this year, and he just paints the inside corner with it. And honestly... I, I we're not appreciating enough. And you, you had a really good tweet about this because I do agree with you that it's, you know, guys like this don't come around often. And as Mets fans, it's it's even more special to get to watch him uh, throw every five games. And he's been so dominant as a pitcher with that point seven one ERA. It's it's really like laughable, but it truly is remarkable. The consistency he is hitting at. And it's not like he's just getting a single and then the innings over after the next. But. He's getting huge hits for this team over and over again. I mean, he's batting. He's eight for 20 and he's he's driven in three runs and he scored four runs. The guy does everything and not to mention should win a gold glove. Uh, honestly, is that level of a fielder. Him and Stroman are just tremendous fielders of their positions. I'm running out of things to say about Jacob DeGrom. I think the last thing I will say is, and I know you were very locked in on it last night, as were all of us without saying it, 
I- I'm waiting for the no hitter. It's really gotten to that point with Degrom, and I know that is it's an insane thing. And I hate arrogant fans in any sports. And trust me, take it from me. I root for the New York Jets, who have been horrific. I've rooted for the Knicks my whole life, and they finally figured it out this year, but they were bad for a very long time. The Rangers in hockey, up and down, and the Mets, of course, we know their history. There is not a lot in my fanhood to be that arrogant about. But with Jacob DeGrom, I am at the point where when I turn on the game, I go, man, I hope he throws a no-hitter tonight. Truly. Yeah, De- DeGrom, when he pitches, you should be on no-hitter watch every time. When you when I watch him pitch, it's it literally looks like MLB the show on like rookie mode, but it's real life against Major League Baseball players. He makes everybody look stupid every time out, and he's just messing around hitting 450. Like absolutely crazy the numbers he's doing and you know I, I stayed up last night just until basically he gave up a hit once he gave up a hit glasses came off and I was like all right I'm gonna stay up for as long as my eyes stay open which was not very much longer shout out to uh Miss Met for making sure I went I stayed up for <laughs> to watch uh to watch DeGrom and yeah it's unreal and you know I tweeted last night that I urge everyone to not take for granted the ability that you get to watch him every fifth day. You know, we're constantly complaining about the run production that he gets and, you know, complaining about this and complaining about that, you know, whether he's getting wins in games and things like that, whatever, you know, those are not the things that we're going to remember. When you look back as time goes on, you're telling your kids and your grandkids about Jacob deGrom. You're not going to be like, man, all the wins he should have had. You're going to be talking about, you watched a guy that went out there basically every time out and never was off. Like DeGrom. It's insane. He's never off. Like if he gives up a couple runs, you're like, what's going on? Like I was watching the game last night with my mom and DeGrom went 3-0 on a guy in like the third or fourth inning, whoever it was. And my mom goes, is something wrong with him? Why is it 3-0? Like she, she was like, is he hurt again? I'm like, mom, you just threw a couple balls. Relax. You forget that he's yeah. a human. Yeah. Honestly. He is. He is literally like a robot as close as a robot as you're going to get. And, you know, I can tell the DeGrom story till I'm blue in the face and I'll always love to tell it. Just absolutely crazy where he came from, how he got to where he did. And the fact that he is far and away at the top of his position in the sport. I know people for fun, like to debate Garrett Cole and whoever else. Jacob deGrom is in his own class in baseball There's as a pitcher. There's no no other way to put it. It's deGrom and everybody else. And then you could group them however you want to after that. No one should insult the man by putting anyone else on his tier. He should win another Cy Young. And, you know, obviously he fell a little short last year and, you know, deservedly so to Trevor Bauer based on how he pitched in the shortened season. But... You know, everyone wanted to Mickey Mouse Cy Young. Yeah, yeah, Mickey Mouse Cy Young doesn't count. But everyone wants the Grom to win three Cy Youngs in a row. He might win the next three. I mean, he he is he is that good. And you know, as far as MVP, it's been a minute since a pitcher won an MVP. It tends to go to a position player. But if there's ever a case for a pitcher to win MVP, I mean, it's I don't I'm. I don't know that he's going to keep up a ERA under one, but if he were to be, you know, in the low to mid ones or something by the end of the year, you better be having the conversation with DeGrom as MVP and not just 
giving it to Ronald Acuna or, or, you know, whatever offensive player is, is had the best year. Yeah. So the last guy we had do it in the national league was Kershaw. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, so it's not, I mean, that was a long time ago. 2014. What's, what's what's more impressive, a pitcher getting an MVP or a reliever getting a Cy Young? Cause I think Eric Gagne won a Cy Young as a reliever for a Dodgers. I think a reliever winning the Cy Young is, yeah remarkable but let me put it some context here kershaw got the mvp in the national league in 14 before him there's been a couple guys to do it in the al there's verlander eckersley uh roger clemens in 86 willie hernandez in 84 raleigh fingers in 81 the last so 14 was kershaw in the nl before that joe Bob Gibson in 1968 in the end. Wow. Okay. Wow. I didn't think the gap was that long, but sheesh. I mean, just insanity at that point. It happens in the AL more often, but for whatever reason, it just never happens in the National League besides Kershaw. So this would be this would be a remarkable feat, to be honest with you. It really, really would. And, you know, it makes me laugh when we, we opened the show doing the numbers. Um you know, the numbers situation, I mean, DeGrom will be, should be the last Met to wear 48. So that's that's what we're witnessing in terms of greatness from Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, no, I think DeGrom is a future, you know, first ballot Hall of Famer, retired number, all, all the special things that you could say about someone. And what I love about his mindset is just his desire to be so perfect, like, Perfect, perfect. Not this is, you know, that's when you're talking about the best of the best, the LeBron Jameses, uh, the Roger Federers, you know, the best of the best in the sport aim for sheer perfection, not just being really good. They want to be absolutely perfect. And DeGrom's a guy that's like, he has no qualm saying it. He's like, I want to be an inner circle Hall of Famer. He doesn't want to just be at the Hall of Fame. He wants to be talked about as one of the best to ever do it because he has that level of self-confidence and desire to be the best of the best. So he's a guy that as, as long as, you know, he holds up, he should be able to pitch for many more years to come at a very, very high level. And he's taken his competitive nature up to an even higher level. I think, I don't know if it's because early in his career, he got to experience a Mets team that went to a world series and then, you know, bottomed out after that and now it's things are looking up for the Mets around him he has taken things to another level something that made me really laugh while watching the game on Monday night was DeGrom gets up there in his first at bat I think there was runners on first and second and Merrill Kelly was throwing him some wicked stuff like not just the hey you're getting a fastball somewhere over the plate because you're a pitcher and you you really have no business being up there and we can't wait for the DH to be across the board in baseball Pretty sure he threw him a couple nasty breaking balls. And DeGrom kind of looked like, oh, like, are you serious right now? And I believe DeGrom struck out. And then, of course, DeGrom got a hit later in the game because that's what DeGrom does. But when Merrill Kelly got up against DeGrom, you could see him like angry throwing. Like, I'm going to make you look like a complete fool rather than just getting you out efficiently because you pitched me that way. So that's the kind of monster that Jacob DeGrom has become on the field. And going back, I did check your the reliever 
uh, Cy Young situation. Good call, Joe. Gagne in 2003 had 55 saves and a 1.2 ERA. I remember going to games and it was just when I went to a couple Mets Dodgers games that Gagne got into. And I remember like I never leave games early. I told the story of leaving the Mike Piazza home run down the left field line comeback game. So I never leave games. But those couple times where Gagne came in and I was there, I was just like, Ma, we don't have to stay if you don't want. You can leave. Yeah, we can beat traffic because Gagne was not going to be touched, and he was never touched as far as I saw him. No, he really wasn't. All right, let's get into some questions because, like I said, we're taking a lot more today. We really want to get through these for you guys. Everybody really appreciate the support of the show. It's been fun to watch the amount of questions we get really increase week after week. So this one from MetsFan04. Does Conforto's hamstring injury and the amount of time missed this season decrease his value in free agency after the season? Do you think he regrets not signing an extension before the season started? So I'll take the second one there first, Joe, and then toss the first part ultimately to you. Or maybe I'll just raise a question to you. I don't think Conforto was ever actually offered an extension on paper this spring. It doesn't. No, I think they had discussions. I don't know if he was physically like we offer you this. I think there was just discussions. And, you know, the answer to both questions, I think, is no. I don't think his value. I don't think his value gets decreased at all by a hamstring hamstring strain that, you know, he's going to miss three, four weeks for. Like, it's not some it's not like he has a chronic hamstring problem that acted up again. It's just something that happens. Sometimes guys pull hamstrings and he doesn't have some crazy injury history. So I think his market will be perfectly fine and regretting signing extension. I don't think so, because I don't think there was one truly, truly offered. Um, I think I think he's prepared to see through free agency. And I do think the Mets want to keep him long term. I think he fits the mold of what Sandy Allerson and Zach Scott want in a core player going forward cost you a lot of money to do it but i think yeah I, I still think conforto is likely to spend you know the the coming years with the mets yeah i still think he gets 25 mil a year maybe more you could see 26 27 and as yeah. joe always emphasizes you know the term is you know more important than the actual annual average too so i, I think the problem with conforto is in for the mets is that the outfield market is just pathetic this offseason. That teams that need pop from the corner, this is the guy. And that creates competition. And that creates a lot of money. And, you know, we- Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first and second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough Winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. We've talked about all the options at shortstop, whether it's Correa, Trevor Story, who we've seen a lot of already this year, and is, is not having a Trevor Story season. Um, and, you know, hopefully he's healthy. And, and Javi Baez. So as much as Lindor has struggled, and I truly do believe he's going to turn it around, that was why I'd emphasize so much. I really hope they get that deal done because you don't want to find yourself in this free agency frenzy 
competing for all these different players when the Mets have their own players to worry about this year. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. All right, the next one from Ethan Braun. With Lugo coming back, how do you see the bullpen rules shaping up? Does Diaz still get the ninth? May move to the seventh, etc. Take it away, Joe. It's your boy Diaz. We know he's not going anywhere. Are you kidding me, Ethan? What? <laughs> what kind of question is that? Edwin Diaz is perfect in saves. He hasn't allowed a run. Get the hell out of here. Edwin Diaz is elite. He ain't moving from the ninth. He's better than Seth Lugo. That's just it. With that said, Lugo is really awesome. And I don't believe in bullpen roles outside of closer. Like Diaz is the closer. You know, obviously the Mets do either. Actually. I, it doesn't seem that way, which is a, a very promising sign. sign, you know, going forward. You should be playing to matchups. That's really how it should be. That's where analytics and things like that are going to come into play. Like it was a, a week or two ago where they brought Trevor Main in like the fifth or sixth or something. Yeah, it was really early because it was the two, three, four. And he ended up giving up a home run, I think, to Freddie Freeman or something. But, you know, the thought process was perfectly sound. You should be utilizing your best relievers against the best hitters. I don't care if it's the sixth inning or the seventh inning or the eighth inning. Like, when the best hitters are up, I want my best pitcher pitching to them. Why Why would I want to, you know, pigeonhole someone into the seventh inning that when I have a better pitching option to go attack the two, three, four of a lineup, you know, to me, I think Lugo should pitch the most premium batters that he could uh, outside of the ninth inning. And obviously you could get a couple innings out of him per outing, which is always a huge help. But they're in a spot where everybody's performing. I feel fairly confident. I know Trevor Mays hit a bit of a bump in the road, giving up some home runs. You know, it seems like he's giving up a solo home run, then being fine for the rest of the inning. But Castro's been fantastic. Familia's been fantastic. Like Gazelman, Aaron Loop, they don't have a weak spot in the bullpen. I mean, it's at the point where Sean Reed Foley is keeps getting bounced to Syracuse and bounced back up to Queens, and his ERA is like one. So the bullpen's in a great spot. I would be much less worried about roles going forward. Just know Diaz is the closer, and everyone else pitched to matchups beyond that. Well, I think to piggyback off of Ethan's question, or something that I think he was he was alluding to is that I like, you know, if you, with Lugo, you almost have like a second closer or a super mm-hmm. closer in a sense that I don't want the Mets to burn out Diaz or anyone for that matter, and they've really leaned on him and all and Castro and May a ton early on this year, and they have truly delivered. And I know you you said it. May has had his struggles recently, but overall, Castro has been tremendous. Diaz is in safe situations is perfect, really, truly perfect. The ninth inning is his. But with Lugo coming back, now you have the chance where the Mets are going to be playing a lot of close ball games this summer because they got a lot of injuries in the lineup. They got good starting pitching and, and teams are competitive. They're going to run to the Western Division, which, you know, we, we know what that looks like right now. Uh, the division is 
not looked great, which is a great thing for the Mets, but I think they're going to bite back at some point, especially the Braves. And we, the Phillies always play the Mets tough. The Nats always play the Mets tough. The Marlins always play the Mets tough. If you, you don't want to pitch Diaz back-to-back days, but there's just reality is you're going to have to. But say you do pitch Diaz back-to-back days and you have a third day in a row where a game's close, you can have Lugo go out there and give you the eighth and ninth. It, that is invaluable for this team in terms of, and you know, with Tommy Hunter's on the IL, it'd be nice to get him back. Like you said, Sean Reed Foley has options. You can, you can keep bringing him back and forth. So overall, it's getting away from roles. It's just huge to have somebody like Lugo that is truly a utility type player where, you know, we're, I'm looking at it right now with the Mets and I expect them to be playing postseason baseball. And we know Jacob DeGrom can go long into games. We know a lot of these guys can. But there's going to come a time in a big game, whether it's to to clinch a playoff spot or whether it's to win a playoff game, home or on the road, whatever it is, that you need four lights out innings from your bullpen. Having a guy like Lugo that can go the seventh and eighth or sixth or seventh or whatever it may be, it's just so important for this baseball team. No, you're absolutely correct there. And if that's what Ethan is getting at, I apologize for snapping. Just it's a Diaz. Joe thing. takes it's a what lot I about Diaz. Yeah. So he's, he's a little defensive, yeah. rightfully a, so. But having Lugo as the option, you know, when Diaz is unavailable and you need a different closer for a day, Lugo is your, certainly your next best option. And then, like you said, there's going to be times when doesn't mean a pitcher pitches bad, but he just goes five innings. And the game's close, and you're going to need to get through the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth. And you don't want to use four guys for that. You can use two or three. Lugo could go two to three innings, depending on how his pitch count is. You know, obviously, you have to give him a day or two off after that, but that's fine. You get through the game, and yeah, I think having Lugo back is just killer. I mean, you mentioned Tommy Hunter. Where the hell is Tommy Hunter fit? Like, if everyone stays healthy, I don't know how Tommy Hunter even fits in this bullpen at this point. What, I like him more than Jacob Barnes, honestly. Yeah, I guess. But Jacob Barnes, it's a tough... It's ticky-tacky. I'm just saying who yeah, I like. Yeah, right. Him. That's fair. That's fair. But with Barnes, it, it's a tough thing where the analytics department really likes him. Jeremy Hefner really likes him. And he's out of options. So, I mean, if you... Barnes is basically just gone if you DFA him. I mean, he's not going to you. You won't get him back. So uh, I think I think they like him, but that's a fair one. Hunter versus him. But I'd rather have Reed Foley than both of them. And, and, and you know and, how I feel and, about yeah, the Guam, yeah, the yeah. Guam beast. And and he's chilling down in Syracuse right now. He'll be back soon enough. But yeah, I they're at a point right now that the bullpen, you know, knock on wood, the bullpen has been very strong and they have a wealth of options for it. Yes, and you and I spent, and I really tried hard to not spend a lot of time because we knew this would happen on the whole who gets knocked out of the rotation with Syndergaard and Carrasco coming back. So as Joe has alluded to many times, these things tend to work themselves out. All right, next question from Jacob. Given McCann's offensive improvements, and he says you can at least clearly see his launch angle now goes up instead of down, how would you solve the catcher issue? So... I mean, the reality of the situation is, I know you used the word issue and didn't mean it as a real problem, but you're he, I'm assuming he means Nito still needs to play. McCann looks like the player they thought they were getting. I think the reality of the situation is these guys should be much closer to splitting time anyway. Now, McCann should obviously get a bigger role. That's why you went out and signed him. They're both tremendous defensively. 
obviously Nito has really, really improved as a hitter the last two years now. I think the reality is, you know, McCann was always a split time player in Chicago. And you just have to wonder, maybe being a catcher that much is wearing him down a little at the plate. And I know I'm just spitballing here and, and honestly kind of guessing and putting two and two together, but I think it's really easy. I don't think this is an issue. I think Nito needs to play more. They're both, you don't lose anything with either of them behind the plate. The Mets have all of a sudden, after years of being a punching bag, are one of the hardest teams to run on in baseball right now because of both of these guys. So keep them fresh, keep them healthy. They each give you a little pop off the bench and just split them almost down the middle. I'd say 60-40 McCann-Nito. Get the hell out of my head, Connor. I was literally going to comment about how McCann has basically been a part-time player for most of his career. So what he I, is. So I think he would benefit from having someone to almost split with. And I was going to say literally 60-40 too. So you're, you just took, you took everything that I had. I think right now they're both playing good baseball. They're both awesome behind the plate. Pitchers love throwing to both of them. There's no like Wilson Ramos situation where players were like, do I really have to throw to this guy? I really want to throw to Nito. Uh, people love throwing to McCann. He is very selfless behind the plate, which sounds like something that, you would think would be common, but it is not. Um, he's been caught on video and everything. He's very open. He says to these guys, like, look, I have zero ego here. I don't care about calling my game. I want to call your game. I want to call a game that you're comfortable with and it's going to maximize your ability on the mound. He's He's been awesome for this staff. And uh, like Jacob said, his offense is seeming to turn around. You're seeing him hit the ball in the air a little more, which is – Great, because, I mean, he was basically grounding to a double play seemingly every time he came up to the plate. And Nito's been a revelation offensively for the last year plus now. So they're in a situation right now where they have two very capable catchers and, you know, split the time as close to even as possible and ride the hot hand. You know, if McCann really starts hitting home runs, let him play for a few days and give Nito a break. And then, you know, if... McCann has a couple off games. Give Nito a couple games. You know, I have no issue playing the hot hand because on the defensive side of the ball, there is no loss with either of them. And I think the pitchers love to throw to both of them. So it's not like you're you have to have a, a catcher for DeGrom and a catcher for throw like they're equally comfortable throwing to both of them. So I think they're they're in a great spot behind the plate for the first time, like you said, in years. Yeah, it's, it's hard not to be pretty excited about what we've seen from them out in the field, whether it's, you know, the way they call the game, how well they move behind the plate, and, of course, the arm strength and accuracy. And that, you know, even McCann, when he had that 0 for 5 on Monday night, the couple times he made contact outs, he was really hitting the ball very hard. So I, you're starting to see him turn the corner legitimately. All right, this is from an insane Mets fan. If the Mets are looking to add a starter with Carrasco and Syndergaard out a while, would you look at John Gray or Tyler Anderson, both soon to be free agents who have been serviceable? I think Gray is a prime new situation, success kind of guy. Uh, my two cents before I toss to Joe, I don't think the Mets will look to add a starter. I think they will just try to grind this thing out until they get Carrasco back late June, early July. What do you think, Joe? So it depends on that Carrasco timeline, I think. Because I, like I said, I don't expect Syndergaard to pitch for the Mets this year. If he does... 
maybe he's a bullpen option in September or something if if things really work out. But let's let's see that Carrasco actually comes back uh, before before we you know completely count on it. I know that he was supposed to come back in early May and then mid May and then late May. And now it's late June, early July. So let's let's see that that timeline doesn't continue to get pushed back. But obviously, if Carrasco comes back, I don't think they'll be in a rush to get a starting pitcher. If if his timeline pushes back even further, then I think, you know, the insane one's on to something. And, you know, (laughs) John Gray is a guy that makes sense. I mean, former high draft pick, high stuff, maybe getting the hell out of Colorado will, you know, really help him. I actually haven't taken the time to dive into the free agent to be starting pitching uh, or who could be available at the deadline as far as starting pitching goes. I know there's rumors of Max Scherzer being available. Obviously, that wouldn't happen here for various reasons. But, you know, if they require a starting pitcher, you know, I'd have no opposition to pursuing, you know, a free agent to be like John Gray. I think he would have a chance to excel in New York. It'll be something to keep an eye on. And that's assuming that everyone else stays healthy, right. of course, right now, too. So, yeah, well, that conversation could become very real at some point. I think right now you just have to be optimistic that they're taking it slow with Carrasco and he can come back for the second half of the season and be the piece that we've expected him to be. And then, of course, like you said, with Syndergaard, you're not rely- you're not counting on anything anymore. Whatever you can get this year is a bonus. And, and With that question, I'm actually going to jump ahead to one here from Mike Carbonero. I really liked this question. He says, I love the podcast. Being that coaches get blamed when players don't perform, when do you think credit will be given to Jeremy Hefner for the incredible job he has done with the pitching staff? And what do you think he has changed with these pitchers to make them so successful? This is fantastic. And I think we could even go to the manager level and give Louis Rojas credit for getting this team through you know, this stretch of having, let's just call it what it is, quad A players playing every day at most positions on the diamond. And he's still keeping them motivated, getting them to the park every day. Their team is not down in any way. And they're straight up performing, man. I mean, there's there's no other way to put it. So credit goes to Louis Rojas to really keeping his team together through this tough time. And I think that will only be beneficial when the guns really come back and the Mets are, you know, smack dab in contention and ready to go. But as far as Hefner specifically, when they, when they agreed to bring Hefner on as a pitching coach, it was the first time that they've signed a pitching coach since maybe Rick Peterson that I thought this guy might actually really have an impact because he's very forward thinking very analytically driven, um, but also has, he's young, which helps too. You know, it always helps when you're closer to the age of the people you're talking to and, and working with. Very relatable guy. Um, and I think he has that experience as a pitcher that he went through double Tommy John surgery where like he had Tommy John and then needed Tommy John again before he came back. So like he knows coming through injuries, he knows the struggle that these guys are going through. So I think he's someone that they could really relate to. And then he also brings a very smart analytical mind to it that, you know, I think the pitchers appreciate. I I find that pitchers are more open-minded to some of these analytical things than maybe some hitters are. And I think Hefner has a chance to be an absolute superstar pitching coach and helps when you have 
you know, some hosses like DeGrom and Stroman and Taiwan Walker that make your job a little easier. But yeah, I absolutely agree with Mike that Jeremy Hefner deserves a ton of credit. And then at the top, show love to Luis Rojas, who I think a lot of people are, were, are trying to kick out the door seemingly almost every day. But now I think the fans are starting to turn a little bit, just like they did with Diaz. They're finally they're finally turning with Rojas. And, you know, there's articles and people talking out there about, you know, if the season ended today, is Luis Rojas manager of the year? I and, love it. And, the, and you know what? The answer is he might just be. <laughs> I mean, he he's certainly would be in that conversation. And, you know, Rojas is a guy that I think a lot of people had a misconception of. I think everyone looked at him as a raw manager. It's not raw. I mean, he probably has more baseball managerial experience than half the managers in baseball. I mean, the Mets hired Carlos Beltran, who never coached in his life initially. And that's the trend that teams are going now. They're hiring guys based purely on baseball acumen and potential upside as a manager. They're, they don't, they're not looking for experience anymore. And Rojas is maybe the last of a dying breed of he went through the minors. He managed at the low minors and went up to high A and then double A and triple. You know, he managed his way up to become a big league manager. So he put in the work. I think Luis Rojas is a good manager. Is he the best manager in the world? Whatever. Maybe, maybe not. Ultimately, I think manager criticism is a little is a little uh, a little out there, I'd say. As far as how fans, you know, attack every single decision, and it's an easy punching bag, yeah, Joe. And, yeah, for sure. And you don't wait to hear the explanation. There's an explanation for almost everything that's done, whether you like that explanation or not. That's your own personal thing. But I remember it was like a game a few days ago where there, where he said, you know, they didn't pitch May or Cat uh, Miguel Castro, and he was just like, yeah, they pitched a lot, and we want to give them a break. And sometimes that's part of bullpen management. I know, you know, as fans, we watch every game and live and die by every game. A manager of a baseball team cannot live and die by every single game. You have to think big picture. You have to be like, it's not punting a game by any means. And I think they actually won the game anyway. Like Barnes, it was like Gazelman and Barnes for at the end. But they ended up winning the game anyway. But they're not punting games. You know, they're thinking big picture because... It's June 1st, and he needs to manage his team through the end of September. So you you can't treat every single game like it's must win. I know that is tough to hear, but you have to treat, you know, do your best to win every game, but make sure you're able to preserve your team so that way you're in it for the long haul. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think that... You know, I was a fan of the Rojas hire after what happened with Beltron, and I was excited about Beltron, but the reality of the situation was the Mets were put in a really tough spot and they were never going to be able to control that PR war where they had to move on. And by the time that odd timing of everything had created a untraditional hiring period where going with an in-house guy like Rojas truly did make the most sense. And there were reasons to be excited about it. Is he the most energetic guy out there uh, just on camera because I don't know what he's like in the clubhouse with the players. I like that he's calm, cool, and collected in, in, and gives really good answers in post-game press conferences. He answers things in baseball terms and actually doesn't just shy away from questions. He gives real answers. And, you know, I'm not going to act like I'm Luis Rojas' number one fan in the world, but I think he's an easy punching bag when things are wrong 
Last year, they had no starting pitching because they were dealing with hor- horrific cheap owners that your budget gets you Rick Porcello and Michael Waka. This year, you have Taiwan Walker instead out there. So, and hopefully Carlos Carrasco soon. Rojas, like all baseball managers, is not perfect. But I almost feel like if he had this one, you know, PR move where he went out and had this explosive fight with an ump like Terry Collins where the audio leaked or something, (laughs) every fan would rally behind him because they just want to see they want to see that energy. They don't I don't think they need to the fans. I think what he does, he's shown that it says enough what this team did when Khalil Lee and Janeshwi Fargus and Tovar and all these guys that have Brandon Drury, these guys that really had no business being with the big league club this year, they were winning. They they kept their head above water and won enough games where their Mets are 26 and 20. They have three and a half game lead in, in a tough, it's supposed to be a tough division. They're winning division games. I don't know. I'm not, I don't think Rojas is necessarily manager of the year. I definitely don't think we should ever be screaming for him to be fired. I think he's done a good job. And I just think it's, I really think he's just an easy punching bag because of his uh, on-air demeanor at times. But I don't necessarily think that's the smart, calculated approach to judging a manager in baseball. And and to me, be you have to be yourself when you're a manager. Players yes. will players will see through the BS. If he goes out and goes crazy on umpires or whatever, players will see through it and know that's not real. Like Rojas is who he is. He is calm, cool, collected at all times, win, lose, or draw. You know, there's something to being even keeled at all times. And I think he has the respect of his players. He has them, you know, whether we see it or not, maybe he's more fiery in the clubhouse than, you know, we get to see. And, you know, it just stays behind closed doors because very often, if you had a team that put 17 players on the IL, that team would just fall apart at the seams, crumble and be done. The Mets are getting closer to coming out of all those guys being on the IL and getting a little healthier. And, you know, granted, part of it is how the division has played, but they're tied for the biggest division lead in baseball. I mean, you you could not have asked the Mets to do much more or asked much more of Luis Rojas over the last month. And obviously, you know, if they crap the bed in June, you know, people will be dumping on Rojas. It's to, you know, to Mike Carbonero's point in the question that he had, you know, we're going to dump on Luis Rojas and Hefner and all these guys when things are going bad. And I think too often we don't give credit to coaches when things are going well. At that point, you see the credit going to the players, right? That's where, oh, this guy's performing, this guy's performing. But when things are going bad, it's not the player's fault, it's the coach's fault. So I think it's a it's an interesting dichotomy. And obviously, judging how people act on Twitter is not necessarily the best uh, recipe for judging people's you know characters and things like that. So um, I like Rojas. I've liked him all along. Um, I don't, like you said, think he's, you know, some all world special manager, but you know, I, I'm not opposed if things keep going pretty well that Luis Rojas manages, manages the team beyond this year. I mean, he has a, I think he has an option for next year in his contract that wasn't picked up yet. Um, I think Sandy and, in the front office wanted to see how things went with him, but I like Rojas, so I'm hopeful that there's a future for him here. Mm, 
Yeah. Yeah. We'll see where it goes. All right. The last question of today's show is kind of a funny one. It's from NYJ Steve. He says, I recently had a dream that I was playing catcher. Not sure if it was for the Mets, but I couldn't get my chest protector on. Not sure if that's a personal issue or a Mets thing. Have you ever had a baseball related dream or nightmare? So to this day, once in a while, I'll still have a dream where I come out of the locker room uh, for lacrosse practice and the field was pretty far away at my high school and I forget something, whether it's a glove, whether it's my helmet, whether it's a stick. So I feel you on the very bizarre sports dreams where something is wrong with your equipment. I, as an adult, I still get those today. And once in a while, I know this is a really popular one. I'll get the, I have a, like waking up thinking I have a test that day for school and I'm 29 years old. And I'm like, what was that? Do you ever get those weird ones, Joe? Yeah, I definitely get the wake up for a test or like just wake up with some crazy anxiety. And it's like a very similar feeling. Where am I supposed to be? Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But as far as baseball, I really can't think of like something recurring. Like I've I'm sure I've had them over the years, but I I actually cannot think of, you know, a recurring baseball dream. I mean, my baseball career ended at like 14 or 15 years old. So, I mean, it was very uh, uninspiring, my baseball career. So I, I I have more dreams about the sports that I played afterwards. I was a big-time tennis player throughout the rest of high school and into my low 20s. That's a sport that I actually was good at. So I have, I have more dreams related to tennis than I, than I do baseball, at least as, at least as far as a player. I'll, I'll weirdly dream like the Mets made a trade or the Mets made some free agent signing. Like in the winter time, I'll wake up and go and check my phone just to make sure that did or did not happen um, from time to time. But as far as like a physical on-field baseball thing, I can't think of anything that at least happens with any regularity. Fun show today. I have to yeah. say a lot going on in Mets. We didn't even talk minor leagues. Yeah, so we had so much going on with the major league club. And well, they got a, rained a out too. 44s. So they're not <laughs> yeah. even playing. Either, yeah. They, yeah. They got, insanity. they got, yeah. The minor leagues. I mean, most of them are in this local area, so they got rained out as well. Um, the one thing that I would like to plug if I could is the please. Yeah. You know what? It's my show. Why am I asking permission? I say, why you ask yeah. me? Yeah. I'm not the monitor. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the second episode of Mets perspective is dropping Thursday. At, I think 4 PM Eastern. Um, Can you reveal a- the guest? I don't think so. Um, okay, I think I think enough. I think they'll reveal the guests tomorrow, Wednesday. So keep a lookout uh, for SNY at SNY TV. They will plug the guests. But this week we interviewed a top prospect in the system. So not a you know director of development like last week, uh, last episode with Jeremy Barnes. This time we are actually speaking to a player. So keep a lookout for that. And like I said, it's MLB draft season. My first. MLB mock draft for SNY.TV dropped. So that is a read-only article at this time. And I think we might throw some draft stuff in the Mets perspective over the coming weeks here. But uh, yeah, get that out there. Take a look at my first mock draft. Uh, the Mets will pick 10th. And that draft is coming you know, July 11th. So we're just under six weeks from the draft. And uh, I gave them in the first mock right-handed pitcher Sam Bachman from Miami of Ohio. Uh, 6'1", 230, 235 type of build. And, I mean, if you want to talk about a special arm, Sam Bachman is that special arm. I mean, he's 95 to 99 on the fastball, has touched 102 this year, uh, has a plus-plus slider. Uh, His changeup, he doesn't really need, 
um, playing at, at the level that he is. So he doesn't throw it too much in game. But uh, word from Rapsido data and, you know, offseason, you know, workouts that he's done is, you know, he's showing numbers on his changeup, you know, movement like a Luis Castillo, similar to a Luis Castillo from the Reds, who has one of the better changeups in baseball. So obviously he would need to refine that. Uh, I think Bachman is a guy that could absolutely be in play at 10 or if he doesn't go at 10 to the Mets, he'll probably go very, very shortly thereafter. I know that some have connected the Nationals to him at number 11. So, yeah, I went with Bachman. I'll put out a couple more mocks at SNY. And, you know, obviously we're going to get into draft season here in the next week or two on that. So Mets, you know, for the last month, I think we'll we'll really hammer home some draft content. I'll have a big board ready and and things like that. So we'll we'll get into it. The draft is where it's at. And, uh, yeah, please check out everything over at SNY.TV. And, of course, that so Mets is not going anywhere. So please, you know, rate, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. You know, we need to see those Apple reviews. You know, I want to see more five stars in there. And yeah, everyone, you know, please go do that. It really is going to help support the show. And I finally unlocked the email for the That's So Mets email on Gmail. It's just logged into <laughs> my phone. I don't know the uh, password. So I was able to finally get that resolved. So I think, uh, Connor and I are going to get together about this YouTube channel that we've talked about for like two or three weeks. And like, it's going to happen. I promise. Yeah, no, I, I will make sure of it, especially this time of year where things are so quiet in the football world and things are so loud in the baseball world for the Mets. And like you said, I mean, with the draft, perfect time to live stream that night, a lot of perfect games to live stream after right now. So Joe and I will definitely dip our toes in the Mets YouTube world, which seems to be growing by the days. Is that was that your closing thoughts, Joe? Or do you still have something to say? I'm good. I'm good. Just <laughs> That's enough. Yeah, I I uh I won't be staying up for the entirety of tonight's game, and I won't be staying up for the entirety of tomorrow. Actually, no, tomorrow's at like six forty. I think I could do that. Three forty on 340. YouTube. Oh, what that YouTube? YouTube only. Oh, Jesus. Okay. Um. I know. Well, I know. All right. Well, I guess I'll watch that somehow, some way. And uh, yeah, no, I won't stay up for the rest of tonight's game, but hopefully the Mets win. Yes, let's hope. And good luck to everybody that is braving these tough times, staying up to late into the night to watch these games. I'm doing my best so we can continue to keep the content rolling. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll catch you next week for episode 45. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. If you run a business, Bank of Clark County has you covered. Offering cash management services to automate and simplify your business banking, streamlined digital banking, and merchant payment processing that's a one-stop solution. Plus, Bank of Clark offers corporate credit cards that help you optimize capital, organize expenses, and enhance your business. Whether you're looking to earn points faster or lower your APR, Bank of Clark County has the card that's right for you. Member FDIC.